Welcome to the fourth episode of the Outpace Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. And I just wanted to say thank you to all of the listeners of the podcast, as well as the community that has embraced the Outpace uh, way of life. We have so many people, consultants, we have education specialists, we have just customer experience professionals and people figuring out that customer experience goes beyond just support and the education that you can bring your customers. It also touches other pieces of of the business. And so I just want to say thank you to everybody that we have here on the Outpace subscriber list. We have over a thousand people subscribed to our Substack now and almost a hundred people on our LinkedIn group. So if you haven't subscribed to the Substack, I would do that right now. And also make sure that you're part of that LinkedIn group. We have people asking questions, people networking, and people really just learning about customer experience and how to best uh, progress their business with customer experience at the forefront of their mind. I also want to remind everybody that we have a paid version of Outpace. So If you want to upgrade to the paid version, we have an extra podcast that we only give to paid members every single week. And we also have a monthly session with uh, the networking group of Outpace inside of the LinkedIn group every single month. So if you want to be part of those two things, if you want more content from Outpace, we also have uh, paywalled posts as well um, that we don't give to the public each week. There's going to be at least one post a week, one extra podcast episode, and also the monthly group get together. So if you want to be part of that group, make sure that you go and subscribe to the monthly. You also get a discount if you do the annual. So uh, as we grow Outpace, we want to really make sure we're breaking out in session groups and things like that uh, to progress Outpace as much as possible. And so thank you guys so much again for subscribing. I never thought it would even get this big. And here we are in week four and we have thousands of people listening to the podcast and subscribing to the Substack. And again, I just feel so grateful for this community already, and I'm excited for what's to come. So again, thank you guys so much, and I'm excited to bring on Ohad Ronan here. All right, for the third week in a row, we get blessed with having a founder on the podcast, and we're super excited to bring in Ohad Ronan, and we're just really, really grateful uh, of his time uh, to be here. And you know what? Speaking to founders is always so interesting because we get a different perspective on CX and what they look for as they are trying to provide value to the customers that they're bringing in. So Ohad, thank you so much for coming, and uh, yeah, welcome into the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Um, such great opportunity. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's kick it off by going through just a little bit of a summary of you know how you got to support, how you got into the CX world, and what interested you about the field of customer experience. Um, so basically, we started the company two years ago, and we've done really different things. Uh, we tried to create smart tutorials for companies that can understand by their own using AI if the user know or doesn't know that the knowledge that we uh, try to create with this tutorial. And then we, when we dive deep, dive deep into um, to the space of knowledge bases, we understand that the one that's in charge on this knowledge base is the support person and not the product manager that we use to sell to. And the main reason was to... Um, cut the support operation costs and also, you know, uh, to have less tickets. So we really fell in love into this uh, category of, of support and we pivoted a um, few months ago to, to this CX fields. And also I always, as a, as a customer, as a user, 
always find myself recording loom recordings to customer support in order them to understand what I'm experiencing so English is not my native my native uh, language and and you know it, you you always try to understand how you can um, explain what you're experiencing and for me to have too much writing and too much uh, um, it, it's 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 not a good experience um, so I find myself a lot of recording myself explaining the issue it's much more personal and it's much more um, I think make uh, the both side happy so they can understand me better I can express myself better so it's it's a win-win situation so when when we understood that uh, six months ago we do this pivot and from there it was like really really huge um, success for the company. That's amazing. And just going back a little bit and you jumping into being a founder in general, like you starting record, like what, what did that take? Obviously it takes a pretty big leap to be a founder, but, uh, when you guys saw the opportunity in the beginning, um, to go and do this thing and provide value as a business, you know, what did that leap look like as a founder? Uh, and what have you learned along the way, uh, in these last two years of, of really running your company? It's, it's, it's a big question. Um, but I think that any founder knew or have this fire in him that he knew that he wanted to do something, um, that he can't take the situation as is and he need to do something uh, regarding to this opportunity on the market. So I think every founder has this fire in him to, to, do, the, to do this change and, and make other people's lives better. And when we started, we knew that we want to provide value to the end users. Although our customers are other businesses because we're a B2B company, we always think about the end user and the experience of the end user, the users of our customers. Um, so you want to do something. And I think that all my life, I did other things, other entrepreneurial projects. Um, some of them were businesses um, and some of them was much more society uh, contribution. But I learned also uh, my degree is in uh, computer science and entrepreneurship. So I, all my life been around this uh, entrepreneurship and I learned a lot, a lot of lessons um, from how people operate, the, the importance of, of trust and, and building relationship with people and to understand pains and to understand how you can create products that solve those pains and how you market it and how you become a salesperson, but also a product manager and also a customer support and understand the importance of this uh, relationship between each department. So you learn a lot in the process and you becoming a manager and then you grow up and 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 it's make you a different person um but if if i need to find something from my own story about why i become entrepreneur um i think it's it's related to the thing that i i, I saw at home um none of my parents are entrepreneurs but they always talk about that and they did things uh, not necessarily on the business side but they do entrepreneurial uh things and they always find the courage or they doesn't have the courage to do this leap and decided to do something that is a business oriented. Like I need money to operate this company or I go to, um, you know, find money to, to build the company and to sell this vision to um, investors. 
But I think that what I'm absorbed that I can do it better. I need to have this courage to starting something that will do the change, not in a small scale, but in a bigger scale uh, worldwide. Yeah, I love that. And you touched on something that's really interesting to me is wearing a lot of hats. Um, but understanding the business model that you've had, uh, and working with the internal employees, one thing that's consistent that I've heard over the past couple of weeks, uh, uh, just interviewing founders and talking about CX as a whole is you guys listen to feedback more than anybody else. Uh, and you guys listen to your customers feedback. There are founders that are even on the customer success calls, uh, that are onboarding users. And so, I want to, I want you to walk us through some of your thoughts when you're onboarding a user and what that looks like and how that may have changed over the past 12 months of how you guys actually onboard new customers to record, uh, and, and how that works as a company. So it's interesting topic, um, that today I have two different conversation about, um, there is debatable, you know, always everybody knows. Uh, from the SaaS uh, market and the SaaS uh, ecosystem, the 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 superhuman approach of of um, of onboarding, really high touch, really to understand everything, to be on top. But in the other side, you have this product led growth mindset of onboarding through the product and 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 low touch as, as possible. And I think that the truth is, um, in order to create good onboarding process you need to understand data, how people operate and provide them the best way to succeed at the first time. This is the goal of the onboarding. The first time I use your product, the first time I um, try to do something with your product, make me successful. Um, show me the value and understand my needs. Um, so... What we do, we use the product as a lead generation. Uh, we see people that sign up, they can start using the product because the product is built really in, in, in the PLG mindset of you can do everything by your own. But when you do that, we also um, mark you as, as a potential customer and we want to help you. So we will approach you. Um, of course, we have the automating uh, onboarding sequence that provide you with each step and and try to, if you didn't succeed or didn't finish all the steps required, we will uh, it, it will send you another email. But we also have this um, CRM that we try to to approach any customer. Not it's 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 not necessarily important if it comes from the product or the integration uh, um, side of of, of things. Uh, but we'll try to approach them and call onboarding and try to understand their needs and what their initial thought about why they need our product, why they click on get started. There's a lot of insights that are not quantitative because the quantity we have on the data, but the thing that are qualitative are much more harder to perceive and harder to analyze uh, because you need to be as a founder, you need to be as a founder to understand the vision. And sometimes somebody that is from, I don't know, different market, assuming that we are work for uh, our personas, our, our uh, customer operation and, and support, somebody from product will come to us and say, I like the insight you provide. It's not necessarily mean that I need to shift all the company to, to, to work for product managers, but I need to understand 
what he found in my product that he might not find in any other places and to ask myself if this is an opportunity and and maybe to to see how he used the product how he on board to the product and what what he decided to do um, and and just to summarize our um, onboarding is very very easy we change it we provide today onboarding that provide you with the value we have like a big challenge because you need to install our code in your product before to perceive value so we did something in the onboarding process that provide you with the ability to test the product before even um, installing that uh, and in this is creating a huge impact on the onboarding um, and also we will approach you with some question and we will try to eliminate as much steps required uh, to not create a, a big drop, but also create a, a flow that is in, in the right uh, phase or right. It's not short too much, but it's not long too much. <clears throat> I don't think that push you into product is a smart way. And sometimes you need to, to add a friction on the onboarding process in order to um, let the user working in, in, in the right phase and understanding bit by bit. Uh, and then he have the full picture to start engaging with your product. Such a fascinating topic because we always try to make the users have as seamless as an onboarding process as possible. But at some point, being a SaaS company, you have to have them understand how to use the product, right? You can't hold their hand forever. Uh, I want I wanted to ask you, you know, what are the metrics? And uh, this is this is something that I feel like is not transparent throughout any SaaS company. Uh, but mm-hmm. in and you know, you can tell me as little or as much as you want. But uh, I would love to know what you guys think of as customer success. So you know, what metrics do you guys potentially look mm-hmm. at when you're looking at you know the 30, 60, 90 day if you guys are doing monthly subscriptions or yearly subscriptions, what to you satisfies that, okay, a customer is being successful, uh, whether it's a number of logins that you'd like to see in the first seven days, like what does that look like for you guys at Record and how do you identify a successful persona rather than a you know potential churned persona? So my approach about success, there is very different from company to company. Um, success in my opinion, is a revenue-oriented department. Um, they not necessarily need to do support. They need to be um, on top of how the user feel. Um, is upsell and cross-sell. Sometimes they will work with the account manager. It's depending on how the company uh, big enough. They can take project with the, the, the customer and try to provide an added value on top of the product. This is how I perceive uh, customer success. Um, there are not necessarily support that need to solve issues for the end user, but they need to add a value on top of the product and provide like the full picture uh, of what the company can provide the end user with, uh, the full value. And the metric is very different. I think that um, we need to look on three main stages. We have the onboarding. We have the activation process. It not necessarily mean that somebody can finish the onboarding process, but it don't gonna be an activated user. And then after we have an activated user, um, we basically have engagement and payment. He will become a paying user. 
Um, when we talk about somebody that starts from free throw, need to understand the value, then he understand the value, then he start to pay off, uh, on the value. And this is the cycle. Although there you have companies that start from sales, like I will pay now and then you perceive the value later, there is pros and cons to any strategy. But what I will try to do when I look on my metrics is try to predict what will be the, the North Star metrics or what would be the one KPI that can predict this uh, revenue um, um, conversion of the, the user. So sometimes it means that you make the integration on our side, going to um, um, production stage and then starting to work or creating records at the first week of the installation. Though if, if, if I go there, I know that you probably gonna stick longer and the churn will be low. And then you try to do everything in the onboarding and activation phase to make them to create the number of workers that you need in order to, uh, and, and do it in the, in the first phase uh, on, or the first week. Um, this is a good proxy for what gonna become. And then the customer success um, need to be focused on that, on, on make them uh, understand and, and, and get this one metric that will represent what gonna be with this account Sure, a lot of things can be changing and wrong, but when you look back on the data, you can have this proxy that is very correlated with the the outcome that you look for. You, yeah, I you bring up such a good point because it's crazy to me working with uh, a couple of different companies and, and working with a bunch of entrepreneurs along the last few years. How many people don't or don't know or can't tell you which is the catalyst that drives the revenue of their business. So, you know, if you ask a, a entrepreneur, if you say, Hey, if you own a SaaS company and you ask them, Hey, what is, what is the thing a customer has to do when, if you know, they're going to activate after the trial or, how are you going to know that they're going to pay you again in 30 days? Like, what is the metric you look for to do that? And oftentimes they actually don't have an answer, which is crazy, right? Because how are you supposed to have a customer success path if you don't know the one catalyst? You know, for instance, um, if a user logs in six times in five days or, uh, you know, if you need to get that user to log in X amount of times, Sometimes that's a catalyst. So, you know, to get them to log in, we need to engage them. To engage them, we need to do X, right? We either need to yeah. uh, engage them in an email inbox or a chat or something to do it. And, you know, that's just one example of many. Sometimes a catalyst is making their first sale. Uh, if you're a CRM, um, for you guys, do you guys have, you know, that catalyst potentially? We talked about a lot about customer success and um, mm -hmm. that journey. And you guys have an amazing onboarding experience and multiple personas, which, you know, a lot of people struggle with having one persona rather than uh, tailoring it to, a, say, a product manager or a support manager. But do you guys have a potential catalyst that you see that drives some of that activation at the end of the trial or a reoccurring payment for you guys? Or is it multiple catalysts that you guys see? Sometimes it's a culmination of, of you know, multiple data analytics. Yeah, but I think that I, I found that to try to look on too much metrics is really hard. Um, and if they correlated, if one of them go up, so the other need to go up too. So it's basically a, a focus issue, like choose one, 
and and try to see if the change in in the delta of this metric will uh will increase more or less from from the other side and then choose one uh do this experiment and 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 understand um but yeah I think that what you mentioned about early or SaaS companies is true because when you're an early stage company, you doesn't have a lot of data to rely on um, that is true to your story or true to your product. You can find a lot of information out there on the internet and they are also not so accurate. Um, there are companies that are willing to share more and there are companies that are willing to share less. Because these metrics really resonate about how the company resonate uh, working and, and um, in the end onboarding and, and it, it, it's it's really strong correlated to the revenue that the company is doing so uh, if they disclosure these these metrics sometimes can harm the company or uh, you know perceive her in a different way than the founder want to 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 let her go. But I think that if if you have a, a good strong feeling, you can start from two three metrics that you think that have correlation and then eliminate them or do the tests um by cohort like for now, I look on the number of people that do extra step on the onboarding to understand if the onboarding that we uh decided or the changes that we do. Is really um, move the needle like of course I have the one that changed the onboarding like finished the onboarding process but th- this is for sure but let's see about the proxy how much people go to resources page how much people go to installation page how people send installation instruction to the developer this is a lot of metrics that can be a good proxy for a long process but in the good direction so always you do the tweaks and changes and And try to see if the, the the changes you made in the end move the what your end goal or the objective like more onboarded users um, and those metrics can be proxy to that that in you you in the right direction yeah yeah I think that uh, also the We talked about feedback and customer feedback. If you're a new company and a new SaaS company, you don't have a lot of data to go by, right? So you don't know potentially that catalyst. And so customer feedback is your catalyst, right? Like you hear the same thing four times in different testimonials and then you go, it starts clicking in your head, whether you have data or not. Uh, I need to start doing this more. I need to start doing this less. And you can make all the conjectures in the world of what you need to do. But at the end of the day, your customers are going to uh, tell you, really. They're open to tell you so much. This is amazing that you mentioned that. Um, I think that also you need to take feedback um, in, 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 in a mindset that maybe there is something underlying what they're saying. Like uh, some user can say, "You know what? Um, I'm not interested in your product, but you need to understand why. It can be pricing issue, and then. Maybe you're pricing it wrong, maybe the value is not enough, maybe it's not a persona, maybe I don't know, maybe they they have competition in mind that they they, they look for and, and then so sometimes that people say something or feeling something or have something in mind that they put out there is not 
necessarily the the underlying reason. And sometimes you need to understand how to ask good question in order to deep dive into what the cause to this uh, answer of the user and don't necessarily take it for granted and everybody say X, X, X. So it's might be X. No, a lot of people can say X, but the underlying will be very different from this X and you need to understand uh, and classify this X to different groups in order to take good decisions. So don't rely blindly on what users said, but creating strong relationship and talk with them in order to to understand better what is is the reason for what they're saying. Yeah, some of the some of the coolest companies that I've ever seen do this like the most correct, I would say, is they actually get a, a cohort of power users, as we call them, that use your platform probably more than anybody else and get them together once or twice a month and say, hey, how's it going? We made a few tweaks. Here's a couple of features that we uh, instilled in the platform. Do you like them? Do you hate them? What would you do differently? And the power users are always so open uh, to give you feedback because they love your platform. And you're going to find your biggest fans are willing to give you the most feedback. And whether you you know, have a bug or something like that uh, inside of the platform, God forbid, uh, they're always going to stick by your side too. So I think it's really important to stick close to those fans uh, and some of the power users of your platform, because uh, regardless of what the data says, they'll always give you the most accurate feedback in a lot of these situations. 100%. I'm, I'm totally agree with that. Awesome. Well, hey, we'll uh, we'll keep it on track here on the customer experience side. But I wanted to ask you, you know, going away from Record, and uh, you know, I you know I love the Record platform. But tell me a little bit about of an experience you know you had that potentially was your favorite experience here recently that you've had with a company or an experience you've had. It doesn't have to be in the tech industry. It doesn't have to be in SaaS. It could be any one of the companies. I had somebody uh, shout out a taco stand the other day, an experience that they had. But I want to uh, talk to you about one of your favorite, most recent customer experiences that you've had. Look, I, I, I'm I really like product. Um, I'm going through product hunt every day exploring new products, um, new approaches, new experiences. Um, it's, it's also, you know, how the company operate, the UX, the UI, the value I perceived from the company. Um, I really like, like uh, one of the tools that I use is Akiflow uh, from the productivity st- space. I really like all the tools of productivity, um, really know them, I think, almost... Uh, a lot of them, and and what I really like about them that they were um, very very easy to solving one issue that is very specific that is called consolidation. Today, like you have a lot of tasks in a lot of different places. If you work in your job in your personal lives, um, sometimes in in the same company, one of the department will use Asana, and one of the departments will use Monday.com or ClickUp. So. They was one of the first tools to consolidate every task to one personalized view um, and not necessarily becoming a task manager from one side of things. But the other side, they have like a quick capture um, experience that was much more faster than any other company because they were native application uh, and everybody go to web. So sometimes you have an opportunity if you go to uh, a place that not everybody going to. 
So their native application enable you with just just two qu- clicks to to um to capture everything basically every task and getting every task that everybody else were assigned to you in your all your platform so i really like the this approach um and how they build the product that is very very easy to use and like you said they have like a great community with power users and they always um share with them the roadmap and share with with them the the plans and before every release, they release it uh, first to the beta users and get some feedbacks and do some uh, session groups. And they're really involved in the community. Um, so I really like how they operate and how they choose which one of the um, the feature to prioritize. So I really like this this experience from, from, from their side. And I really like the Arc browser. It's really cool, uh, the design and, and what they do. And also ChatGPT, I think that we can find and see how this new user experience of textual and context-based conversations with products, um, not humans, can change the way we act and operate uh, in the future. So I mentioned a lot of products, but shout out. uh, You do great job. OpenAI, Arc Browser, the, the Arc Company Browser, and AccuFlow. Shout out. I love them. I love them. Uh, AccuFlow, I, I am familiar with AccuFlow. Somebody recently brought that up to me, uh, and it's a really cool service. And it just goes to show, you know, whether you're a platform that is a task manager platform or somebody who is just solving a problem and they identified a problem, there's companies that use multiple task managers and brought them all together. It's like the perfect explanation of what people are trying to do as entrepreneurs. And so uh, I want to touch on the chat GPT. I know people have heard this at Nas but I want to know how it is affecting record and how you guys are potentially looking at, you know, not just chat GPT, but just AI in general, uh, impacting your video side of the business at record. So what's unique in record, that is not a video based solution. Um, we animate data to look like a video. Um, and the fact that everything is text enable us to do things on top of that and to extract things using AI. So today we use a lot of AI models to understand the user sentiment, the user emotion, um, to extract automatic topic attacking the any user issue. Um, so we do a lot with that. Um, and we have some cool new things with AI coming next soon uh, that will provide some understanding on what happened, which um, errors user had and, and what being the correlated text or what they described the issue is uh, when something happened in the background. Um, so there is a lot of cool things to do. And also, I think that the future will be the way that you will extract or create things. So we have the, the understanding, the inside, the classification AI models, but you also have the generative AI that knows how to do things for you. Um, and one of the cool things that will become something in the support space is basically to understand how we do the best experience for self-serve support. And some user can ask questions that is based on the issue he, he has and, and the data that he has. And then the AI can generate personalized 
answer for him based on the knowledge base and the issue and the exact same metrics and data that the user have with his name, with the data, with with his, um, I don't know, screenshots or generate um, a solution video for him. Um, so there is few years to go down there, but I really believe that um, companies will go there. My only concerns is that I think that then we really miss people if it's not going to be um, like 100% excellent generative AI because the 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 the, the danger with um, using those tools with customer facing um, end users is that the error or the mistake if you give them a wrong answer will can harm you more than do good so we need to be very very um conscious and, and do things really um easily and in and, and very very um um subtle in how we're gonna implement ai um that will generate and talk with our end users yeah, that there's so many companies that are working on solutions like this, and I, I've seen so much proprietary software just uh, owning a support team myself, and and how ChatGPT is plugging into some of these companies and doing conversations. Um, but their proprietary software is actually doing some of the other agent work in the background, and we're so close. I feel like this is the tip of the iceberg. We're so close to having you know fully automated response, and just like you said having AI literally create a GIF or a video uh, screen share of like how, what a customer is asking within a platform. That being said, I have seen a ton of AI mistakes. And so like, even though it's conversational, it's like innately incorrect. And so it's not really great at fact-based right now. It's really good at conversational um, creation, which, you know, is, is why they created it. But the fact-based stuff, uh, arithmetic and, and things like that, they still struggle a little bit with. And so, you know, once we hone that sort of thing in, I think that we get closer, but um yeah, I think we're the the it's funny cuz the pendulum always swings so extreme, right? It's like we oh, we need 100% humans. Okay, now we need 100% AI. And I think that the where we're going to land in the next 10-15 years, just personally, I think we're going to land somewhere in the middle where AI is really helping humans do things a lot faster than we can do now, and it's solving some of the more entry-level low-hanging fruit, um, but some of the more extreme cases and some of the more sophisticated things that uh, humans have to deal with on a daily basis, um, you know, multiple multiple question answers, multiple level questions, things like that. I think that we're there. I won't say we're always going to need humans, but it feels like there's always going to be some human touch that has to be involved in some of this human support, at least from a premier support perspective. But um, we're really close. That's all I can say. Yeah, we, we've, uh, we're really close. You know, uh, part of our pitch is that the future is only... Uh, tier one support, really small, efficient, and effective. And the way to go there is exactly the way you said. Like you have their AI working for you. You know how to tweak it. You know how to work with that in order to be efficient and to stay small and very, um, uh, very tight with the budget. And then you can achieve great things even in a small scale of uh, of people and a team. Because today, customer support 
Um, sometimes it's really um, budget consuming. And also a lot of companies is, is, is like entry level job, first level job. And then the switch of the people is very high. Uh, people come for a few months and leave and you need to onboarding them and, and explain them. And, and, and when you have this asset that we call AI or machine learning, you can use it in order to help any support agent um, to do better job uh, in, in what he do. So you, you, you can use it in order to be effective and efficient. And I think if everybody that listened to us really interesting on this space, the AI and, and, and machine learning. Um, so there is a cool YouTube channel that uh, called, I think, Two Minute Paper. Um, they always provide you with some insights about cool AI papers and uh, researches. And he always said, don't look on where we're at right now. Look two papers down the road. Uh, what will be the future? And now we're experiencing with ChatGPT, GPT-3 of OpenAI data set. And GPT-4 will be 100 times bigger than GPT-3. So there is a lot of things uh, to wait for. And I think that we really live in a cool uh, area for the one that like tech. There are, there are a lot of people that you know will say, no, it's the end of humanity. Uh, the, the AI will take all of our jobs. I'm not there. I really like that. Uh, but we need to, <laughs> to learn how to live with that and to have fun with that. Part of the our evolution. Um, but we need to uh, use it smart. And also to understand that the fallbacks and the problems um, that AI have, like ethics things and things that are related to the data set that you um, teach the AI on. So it's fascinating topic, in my opinion. Um, and like you said, we are in the top of the iceberg. Yeah. So, uh, again, it's just such a cool topic. And uh, I feel like I can probably talk about ChatGPT for the next hour just on, you know, its capabilities and what we're where we're going and what we're doing with it. And uh, yeah, I think that right now it's at a place where, you know, human touch is still going to be something that people look for, especially in the customer success realm. We really talked about onboarding. And I think that ChatGPT regardless of how it gets to or where it gets to, it can automate some of those steps inside of the phases. But um, there are times where customer success really is about the personal connection you make with a, co- with a company. Right. And uh, I don't think that that is going to leave anytime soon unless, unless we all just crawl in our remote holes for the next, you know, two decades. Yeah, you're right. You want to build a relationship with people, um, not an AI, because in, in the world of interest, that is something that is not going to change. We are humans. Um, everybody have interest. I'm here in this podcast because I have interest. Um, you invited me uh, to this podcast because you have an interest. And we right now building a relationship. Um, and I can do that with an AI. And sometimes you want these people in the end that you know, and that you, you understand that you can give them a phone call or create even a tighter relationship to... to um, that will benefit both of you. Um, so it still will be important as part of the value that the company will provide to users. Um, so maybe it will be a paid um, things to have, like relationship with the company, to have the ability to, to affect on the company um, or to be a VIP member. A lot of things that can be changed. But I think that 
in the end, we have just more tools to use with and more tools mean, mean um, more engaging and, and better workflows for our end user because some of them really hate to talk with people. Uh, but on the other side, a lot of opportunity to, um, to monetize more on different things like a human connection. So it will be cool to see where it goes. Um, but yeah, it's a really cool topic. Yeah, one of the cool things that I think ChatGPT does do is it opens the door for new startups. And so you talked about support teams having this huge cost. And that's totally true. I've seen support teams that, you know, have this big percentage of revenue uh, that are going towards this support team supporting uh, the asset. And I think ChatGPT could potentially narrow that down. And so it allows for new breakthrough startups and it allows for new breakthrough technology and potentially the next chat GPT with GPT. You know, it's like those things are important because it lessens the cost in the cost of, or the barrier to entry or barrier to entry of the market uh, gets much less. And so I think that that's super important, especially for VC funds and capital investors as they look at companies and they see solutions that are like, Hey, this is a really great idea. Uh, we just need to lessen costs here. Here's how we do it. We have the solution in place that we're familiar with. Um, and so it's going to open up a lot of doors in my mind for entrepreneurs like yourself, uh, people that are starting companies to be able to just enter the market and have an awesome product with an awesome support team that is able to stay slim and, and you know, operate in a lean manner. And, and that's really important for, you know, any investor or entrepreneur that's trying to gain profitability. Yeah, I think the, the only problem is that... Um... It's really costly. Um, right now, we, we don't see that because OpenAI uh, absorb a lot of, of the, the, the payment that goes to Amazon and other uh, AI providers as, as to, because the, the, um, the computer power that need to, to invest in order to, to provide with this value is really high. So I'm I'm really related to what you said that a lot of people can use the API and try to build things and you don't need to be a coder. You can use this value um really simple even on no code apps and and providers to create something with value. But I hope that in the future we will find a way not to spend too much money on the computing power. Um uh, because as I see it I think it's it's not going to be free forever, ChatGPT, because they're losing a lot of money. And it's really will be interesting to see how they're going to how they're going to act about that. Um, it's going to be a paid service. It's um, how are they going to pay um, that make sense um, to keep this ChatGPT alive or to be able to provide a lot of free tiers or um, a lot of people that can use until some threshold um, to use this API. Right now it's open for everyone. So go and, and give it a try and, and, and do stuff with that. I think it's, it's cool. And I hope that they will find and figure out the way to, to save it, to keep it um, uh, really, really cheap and, and accessible for everyone. 
Yeah, I, I hope that even OpenAI, they're having trouble monetizing, which which is kind of funny to me just because it's such a powerful uh, tool for people. And you can clearly see how it can help uh, businesses and entrepreneurs. But even OpenAI, uh, we, we we struggled with uh, talking to them a few weeks back and we were literally trying to give them money to like upgrade services or like upgrade our bandwidth. And uh, it took like more than two weeks to even upgrade our service to pay them more money. And so, you know, just an example of companies that may be scaling too fast and and don't have the manpower to handle some of the bandwidth that they're taking in. So. Yeah, you know, it's, it's all about where you focus in. I think that their focus right now with the partnership with Microsoft and today and yesterday were some announcement about GPT-4 and the integration into Bing and, and, and Microsoft Windows. So I think that focus on this aspect of side is partnership um, because there are their investors and most of the money that um, um, OpenAI gets it's from this partnership with Microsoft. There are their main investors um, alongside others, but um, so so I think that their focus is over there and they just want to represent something with ChatGPT to. Um, to show the world the power of AI and how it can be um, applicable to everyday use. Uh, and then it will be much more easier to people to interact with AI as part of search engine and interact with AI as part of basically our operating system that we see every day, like macOS or in this case, Windows, um, and this this strategy and this amazing um, uh, decision of Microsoft thing make them becoming very fast, really leading in this space, and and achieving back a lot of um, bad words that been saying over them throughout the the years. I think that they right now do an amazing. Um, work on UX and UI and product hardware um, and really closing the gaps and start leading spaces. So it's really, really cool to see. Yeah, awesome. It's definitely going to be cool to see how uh, they change, OpenAI changes after getting an investment from Microsoft because they've been doing it. Uh, if you haven't seen the OpenAI background and some of their story, it's it's fascinating. They they went from a, a charity nonprofit to now getting bought by Microsoft and they they thought they had a too powerful of software to release to the public, which in some ways I could probably agree with. So it's interesting how that switched once uh, they got offered the money that they did, but you know how they progress is going to be really fascinating as well. So, uh, Onan, I appreciate your time. I want to uh, be respectful of your time here, but I do have one last question. We always end outpace with a CX pro tip of the day. Uh, give us your pro tip of the day and uh, something that you can leave us with in the CX world. I think I will take it for uh, from my latest experience in the, the last week. Um, and it's all about the end user and how users and people in general uh, are motivated from emotions. And sometimes what you need to do is address the user emotion and not to be necessarily right or wrong or tell them this is how 
things done. Sometimes, even if they have issue or something, they look for somebody to that will listen to them, uh, to uh, that understand their needs. And even if you doesn't have the solution, sometimes listen to them and acknowledge their issues and problems uh, will make them really become an advocate of what you do and really want to explore more of your product and will make them happy. And in the end, I think that they're the one that provide you with the, um, the necessity of your product. They're the one that will... Um, choose where the com- your company will go and where they happy, you will become happy. And it's not in the end always about data. And we're a data-driven company. We really like data. But sometimes there is emotion underlying this data that you need to understand and know how to um, develop trust and, and relationships with your users, your power users and less power users in order to gain revenue but also gain trust on the community and 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 really let the people in the end like you um and i think it's 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 important to 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 bear with that in mind um when you talk with any user um the one that is the most angry about you and the one that really like you uh all of them in the end are human beings such an important skill to learn. I, I feel like a lot of times we don't quantify empathy, but empathy leads to so many sales and so many customers that are sticking and retention rates and churn rates. And, you know, although we can't directly correlate, hey, I provided empathy here. And so that led to the sale. A lot of times it does. And so although it's not quantifiable, you're you're ta- you're listening right now. If you're listening to the podcast, you're listening to two of the most like data driven uh, people probably on the planet. But uh, yeah. also that this is also two people telling you, Hey, empathy is part of this whole thing, right? Empathy is part of business and making sure that you're connecting with the user is really, really important. So, uh, make sure that although you may be data driven, you're also, uh, providing that side of the emotional support for users as well. So Onan, thank you so much. Or Oha, thank you so much. I really appreciate all of your time. Uh, and Give us one more plug where we can find record, uh, where we can uh, find you. And uh, yeah, leave us with that. Um, everyone that want to follow me, uh, you can look Oad Ronen on LinkedIn. It's O-H-A-D-N. Uh, my slag in any social network, uh, TikTok, LinkedIn, Instagram, everything. It's O-H-A-D-N-R. Um, so you can look over there. You also can um, look on YouTube. We have a channel with a lot of uh, thing that we posted. Um, so look for record. And our domain is to record.it. So to record it, um, very easy. And feel free to reach out with any concern, any question, every remark. We are here for you. Um, and I was very enjoyed from this podcast. Clay, thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure to talking with you about the most topics that I love and I like to talk about. So it's always a pleasure to talk about things that you like, a little bit of empathy. So, um, <laughs> you know, thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Again, thank you for your time. And we're excited to uh, f- to see the feedback from, from this podcast. And everybody from Outpace, we'll see you next week. 